Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Edgy talk. Lane talk. Unrivaled talk. Talk radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio, the place where being right is more or or less very likely to become a way of life and where challenging the status quo is a daily occurrence. And today the status quo could be about to change. Big time. That's right. We are poised rather elegantly on the lip of the volcano. And by the end of the day, we may see a massive eruption. Boris Johnson is preparing to appear before the world at Prime Minister's questions at midday. And we can only hope that his performance is an awful lot better than it was yesterday when his latest excuse from Partygate was that no one told him it was against the rules. That's right, that's what he said. Uh, meanwhile, the plot to remove the Prime Minister from Downing Street has reached fever pitch as new MPs from the Red Wall seats are preparing to topple him with a vote of no confidence as early as next week. 52 letters may well have already hit Graham Brady's office at the 1922 committee, uh, but they're almost certain to do so before the end of the day. Could it be that we are witnessing yet another Tory rebellion against the man that won them so many seats just over two years ago? Watch this space, because literally anything could happen next. I know many of you have said, and many Tories are saying, why would you get rid of the one guy that got you in with an 80-seat majority? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question, and none of them are particularly good for Boris Johnson. We'll be reading the rooms with Baroness Claire Fox, and we might even ask her about that vote the other night, defeating the government's police and crime bill. 0344 is the number. Num- 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 I can't even say the number. There's another Perrier award for you. Uh, Tony Buxton is here as well, with the Prime Minister preparing to announce an end to Plan B restrictions, except controversially, apparently, he may well recommend the continuation of mask wearing. Why? You don't have to recommend anything. If somebody wants to wear it, let them wear it. If somebody doesn't want to wear it, let them not wear it. You can't mandate people wearing masks, particularly if you can get an exemption. This morning, the tubes were completely back to normal, rammed to the gunnels with people. I can tell you that because I was on one. Can we have the old normal back now, please? We'll also talk about the NHS vaccine mandate. She was uh, delivering a petition to Downing Street yesterday, and we will hear all about it. Defence expert Rob Clark is here as well. Uh, The Foreign Office has been warned to prepare for crisis mode over Ukraine. The White House is already studying intelligence that suggests Russia will invade Kiev and take control of the government imminently. Perhaps those civil servants who were missing in action during the Afghanistan airlift might come back to work. You never know. Those three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand. Peter Cardwell is here for PMQs, and for a bit of light relief, we've invited Lewis McLeod in for a chat about all the madness that surrounds us. And as if all that isn't enough, we'll be taking your calls as well. Has there ever been a more bizarre time to live through? As we come out of the COVID fear zone, we need to know how you're feeling, what you're doing, and where it's all going. And what do you think now? 
Are you sorry that you did what you were told? Are you pleased to see that these restrictions are all going to be lifted or are you still going to cower behind the sofa and not go outside? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Is it any wonder it is Talk Radio? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us, without further ado, welcome Baroness Fox of Buckley. Claire Fox, a very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing, Claire? It's been quite a week. I mean, I was about to launch the show this morning and say, has there ever been a more bizarre time to be in the world of politics? You could probably tell me there has, but I can't think of one. Well, I think that the whole of the last 22 months has been so bizarre that it just kind of adds icing to the cake, as it were. Right. Um, politics is, we've almost like lost control of what politics is, mm. it seems to me. Um, so, as you say, every week starts off and you think, what can happen this week? And you're aware of the fact that anything <laughs> can happen this week. Well, I mean, literally in the next 24 hours, any number of scenarios could be the case. And and, and, and I want to get on to uh, the, the police and crime bill with you and the whole business of what happened in the House of Lords the other night, because that's a very important subject as well. But but for now, let's just talk about the next 24 hours. You know, we're told that the Red Wall Tories are revolting against the Prime Minister. The traditional Tories are saying, why on earth would you try and kick out a man who has been so successful at elections for us? Um, what do you think is going to happen? I, I really don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I'll tell you what I think. The tensions are, though, I think that the Red Wall, uh, so-called Red Wall um, elected MPs have never really been properly integrated into the Conservative Party. A mm. lot of them have had very big reservations about the um, lockdowns, rather the impacts of the lockdowns on local areas, on individuals. It's just they've had a very different experience to being in the Conservative Party than your average MP would have. Mm. And I suppose that Many of them feel resentful. They've been taken for granted as well. I thought that that phrase that was used, um, you know, the red meat campaign, mm. it's so insulting to voters in those red wall seats yeah. because it's like it's like a kind of visceral version of throw a dog a bone, and it? it's like this kind of like these beasts out there that have to be fed mm. all these kind of policies. But that also is quite insulting to red wall MPs as well. It's like keep them happy. Give them what they want. Oh, they I don't like the BBC. Get rid of the licence fee. Let's say a few things. Now, that is not serious politics. So I understand the simmering, deep resentments. And those MPs are showing their mettle. They're saying we are to be taken seriously. It doesn't mean that I think that necessarily they will totally want Boris to go or that even I think it would be the best thing because... You've got a situation where not because I think he's a great prime minister, I share the views of the nation about what Partygate, uh, the fury that people feel about the double standards and so on. But I do think that there are so many people who want Boris Johnson to go for less worthy mm. reasons yeah. that it makes you nervous. When I'm surrounded in the House of Lords by a lot of people who voted Remain, uh, I, I don't just mean voted remain, but remain advocates still are remain ultras mm. on the Tory benches as much as on the on the um, Labour benches. They quite like to see the back of Boris Johnson, but not for the reasons mm. that maybe you might or I might. Yes, and, no, that's that's right. The, similarly, and... the people who think that he's been too libertarian about COVID. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, God, they kind of think he's too lackadaisical. He's not being serious. Their argument about him breaking the rules was that he shouldn't be breaking the rules. We should all be having more rules and nobody should ever break them. Mm. 
No, that's, that's right. Not my approach. No, of course. And I mean, the one thing you can say that he has managed to do is unite the country uh, in their complete and utter dis uh, <laughs> disposition that he should go. And I take your point because a lot of the people who would go would go with your view have said to me, you know, what right does the media, uh, other politicians have, you know, the sort of establishment have to remove a prime minister who was democratically elected and that does become quite an interesting philosophical point you know and you're all about ideas you have the academy of ideas um it seems to me that one of the reasons that this government is not working and should be ended is that it's all about them you know it's not about what ideas they've got it's all about you know i mean the whole idea of operation save big dog well i'm sorry you know we did not vote for a government so that they could never ever get told to, that they were wrong or that they should leave we operated uh, the election process to put them in power to do what we wanted them to do well you're absolutely right about the um, the lack of ideas can you believe this today i'm going to speak in two um debates so-called debates, and they're debates on whether we should have vaccine passports in nightclubs and whether we should, and the isolation rules, i.e. we're actually being asked to have a discussion about policy that was implemented months ago. Mm. So we have got a government that is not, that has basically done a power grab during the COVID period, mm. makes decisions which basically we're meant to rubber stamp through, and it's so ironic because as we're talking about it, they're likely to announce that those things are being spent. <laughs> right. But it's also the case that I don't believe, and this is one problem I've got, that the government are going to say rationally, right, we're going to get rid of all the restrictions because we actually now realise that we don't need those restrictions. They've been forced to do it because they think that that will keep people happy because he's been caught out on party gate. Right. It doesn't exactly feel make you feel confident that there's a kind of principled approach here. It's so erratic all mm. the time. And you've already just said, in the midst of it all, they then think, oh, well, maybe we'll just keep on to masks. And we know that they aren't yet ending the mandated uh, uh, vaccines for NHS workers and care workers. So you can't at any point call them to account for ideas because they're basically just making it up. So I find that very frustrating. I, and I, I'm not saying that they, I'm, I, my argument is not, Oh, you can't kick him out because you know he's an elected politician. I mean, you know, he's been shown up, right? Yeah. I'm I'm more I'm being completely pragmatic here. I'm simply suggesting that the people who want shot of him in power are people whose views I do not think are in the best interest of those of us who believe in free societies. Yes. So I'm nervous about what will replace him. Not that I don't think he deserves to be absolutely held up for ridicule and censure in the most serious way i'm just not sure that focusing in on him just is quite our problem yeah. i mean i'm a bit more optimistic about the world uh, perhaps than, than than you are on this because i feel that he's lost all credibility and once you've lost credibility yeah. in politics i don't think you ever really That's get it back because um i was looking at one of dan hodge's uh, tweets the other day where he got in a cab and said he was uh, said to the guy, "Take me down to Westminster." He went, "Oh, you're going to a party?" Uh, he said, "Yeah, do you want to stop off and pick up some wine at the Tesco's?" And he said, "You know, that's the definition of cut through." When the cab drivers are laughing about it and talking about it, and everybody else that you hear speaking on the street is making fun of the prime minister, he can't stay. It's as simple as that. And I take well, your point that we might get yeah. somebody worse, but that doesn't—that's never for me a reason not to get rid of the person that you think is useless. Well, and that's a that's a reasonable argument as well. I mean, I was thinking myself. You know, Boris uh, Johnson really likes to be liked and he likes to kind of go out there and people cheer and tell him what yeah. a wonderful guy he is. 
you just know that he'll never be able to do a public appearance or a walk around and have that what he liked to think of as a popular touch. Right. Um, because actually people will be making fun of him. There'll be a mockery, yeah. won't there? Everyone will be making jokes about it. Well, so we, I, I mean, we, were, we were speculating this morning just before the yeah. show, you know, if, is he the one that's going to get up this afternoon and start uh, setting out the restrictions uh, being lifted? Is he going to set out now plan B is going to be lifted? Because this is the same guy who yesterday said uh, he didn't know what the rules were and nobody yeah. told him that a party was against the rules. So now he's going to set out the new rules. I mean, you can see how there's a problem already. Yeah. Now I can see all of that. I am... Um, as I say, I'm being more pragmatic. I, I, I am anxious about those forces who want shot him in. That's all. Um, I, but it's also the case, I do think we have to be a little careful because I was actually talking to some uh, people who were, you know, local activists from Red Wolf seats who came to visit me in the House of Lords yesterday. Some of them voted Tory, some of them didn't, you know, a bit of a mixture. Mm. Um, all, all of them were kind of Leave voters. They're a little bit, you know, slightly bored of the party stuff. I mean, they're actually furious with um, the Conservative Party for, for example, the House of... Uh, not the House. Uh, the cost of living crisis. Yep. They're really irritated by the whole net zero stuff. Yep. It's absolutely bonkers. And they can't forgive, would you believe, Boris Johnson for COP26, something which we might have all forgotten, but actually was the major spectacle well, of the last few months. Well, this and is I it. And, no, and, and I, I was saying this earlier in the week, that, you know, it's not right to say that Boris couldn't get on with the policies he wanted to get on with because of COVID, because he managed to get on with the green agenda, because that was the only thing he was pushing. And he managed to yeah. organise COP26, and he managed to make a huge deal out of it. It never gets mentioned now. No. But, well, what gets mentioned is an energy crisis, which is, guess what? based on the fact that we've actually not had an energy policy of creating cheap um, energy mm. because we basically turned fossil fuels into some kind of immoral thing we're not allowed to talk about. So we're not allowed to discuss fracking. We're closing down the possibility of gas exploration. We put too much and so on and so forth. I don't need to go on. Right. I, I, I'm simply making the point that I want him to be held to account, I suppose, more broadly yes. and not just him, but the government for policies, which, as you say, they've managed to push through. And I think that those are the things which... So I, I suppose the party gate issue can become a way of the rest of the Conservative Party and the Cabinet, who've gone along with COP26 and the Police and Crime Bill, which I'm, uh, we'll talk about in a minute, they've gone along with those policies, and I don't agree with them. <laughs> and I don't think you can also um, dismiss the kind of perception now of what goes on inside of Downing Street, because you and I probably knew it for a long time, but people in the rest of the country have now worked out that it's run by a bunch of overprivileged Hooray Henry types who've been to Oxbridge, who think they're better than everybody else, who think they're incredibly clever, um, and they think that they can just do whatever the hell they like, and they don't really care about the little people, i.e. the people that pay their wages and the people that actually put them in the job. They're completely, they have a complete and utter disdain for society and for ordinary working men and women. Well, I, 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 I think I've been in number 10 once in my life, very briefly, I, and I don't really know the people who work there, right? So uh, I, I take what you're saying, but I don't know if that's true. But what I will say, and this is absolutely right, the point you're making, when those rules were being made by civil servants across uh, Whitehall, it seems to me, as well as in number 10, mm. they were doing what they thought was in the best interest of the country to protect us and so on and so forth. And they absolutely refused to acknowledge the collateral damage that would come about from those rules. 
And any of us, as you will know, who tried to raise any objections at all, were accused of being irresponsible COVID spreaders who wanted people to die. Yeah. And what drives me mad is that they probably were doing it in good faith. They probably felt like they worked really hard during the day coming up with these rules and then they deserved to have a drink in the nighttime. But for me, it was absolutely irresponsible that this utterly draconian policy, which you might say we needed at the beginning and so on, but that they didn't even allow us to debate it mm. or discuss it. No. We were accused of being, what, COVID deniers at some stage? Yeah, reckless. information, right. all the usual things. And I think that that was anti-democratic. And all the time, they were so sure that they were right. And by the way, that was them and a lot of the people in the media, mm. as you know. As oh, we yeah. saw the Most of them. There was a kind of competition about who could lock down harder, faster, sooner. Yeah. And the opposition... You know, at the moment, this is one thing gets on my nerves, by the way. When the opposition are pointing the finger at Boris Johnson, we all have remembered what happened on May the 20th, and we've heard those terribly tragic stories of utter mm. awfulness, people dying on their own, not and so all those things. The opposition are, saying, are, are telling these stories and weeping and saying, can you remember that? Think, yes, I can remember that, because I can remember you voting for that. Yes. And you've carried on voting for it, and actually... The opposition is still keen to keep restrictions in place. So I, I in that sense, I always feel slightly queasy. About, that's all I'm saying yeah. about pointing the No, no, you're absolutely point. right. I mean, Jonathan Reynolds, the Labour MP, just got handed his backside by Julie Hartley Brewer because he had made the gross, uh, ridiculous error of calling her an anti-vaxxer. So I'm she tore him a new one. And he's gone home and felt very sorry for himself. But stay where you are, Claire, because I want to come back and talk about the police and crime bill, about freedom uh, and about misogyny, of course, as well, uh, which has also now become a hate crime. We're talking to Baroness Claire Fox. Uh, she's a very, very brilliant woman. Uh, you should listen to what she has to say. You might not agree with all of it. The home of common sense. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is Prime Minister's Question Time today, of course. Prime Minister's Questions always has been uh, pretty lively in the last few weeks. Peter Cardwell will be here with us to talk us through it. Uh, Boris Johnson is going to be there, of course, with Sir Keir Starmer. Almost anything can happen between now and then, and almost anything can happen this afternoon. There might be a vote of no confidence arranged for next week. There might not. Uh, they might go too early. There might not. Uh, who the hell knows, I think is the bottom line right now. Let's talk to uh, Baroness Fox, though, of Buckley. She's been talking to us about Boris. Let's talk now about the police and crime bill, because it was a pretty lively night in the House of Lords the other night. Went on till about one o'clock in the morning. I've heard Peter Hayne uh, talking uh, about how uh, happy he was to get this defeated and how the government have now got to now take it back and see if they can play ping pong and get it through. Um, you and I will disagree about whether it should have gone through, but we will agree probably that it's the police's fault that this has all kind of come to pass, because the police, we are told, have got the powers to deal with people like Insulate Britain. They just don't use them properly. Well, that is my argument. I, I, the, the, the thing that about this government is that they've gone for overreach and a power grab. And actually, I think where you would agree if you'd actually, you know, and I'm not saying if you'd read all the amendments. <laughs> Listen, I haven't. I, so I'm not going to pretend I have. Let, let, let me assure you, they're very boring. Yeah. But what's shocking is they introduced these particular amendments relating to the um, uh, Extinction Rebellion crowd. They tried to sneak them in basically at, at one o'clock in November where nobody sort of seen them before. Right. They brought them into the Lords first so they didn't even bother taking them to the Commons. You then read them and, he, and at first I thought, I, I genuinely couldn't believe it because they managed to 
take something which actually there is public support for, which is to clamp down on people sitting on the M25, give the police more powers and turn them into powers, which I can tell you are much more like the Coronavirus Act powers, which are so all encompassing that should you, for example, um, you know, say, for example, you wanted to go on a protest in support of a statue of Winston mm. Churchill yeah. or in support of fracking or against Extinction Rebellion, you could get done under mm. because they're very comprehensive. And they, they, there was this ludicrous bit where they were explaining that you could not just be arrested for, you know, locking yourself with a bike chain to a building or whatever, but you could be stopped. Anyone could be stopped without mm. suspicion, as they said. And if you had a bike chain, you'd have to explain what you were doing with the bike chain. And if you could explain that related to your bike in a bike area, this is not even on a demo, right? Mm. In other words, that is a ridiculous amount of power to give them. I think you'd agree. Yes. And it means that. And so they just went too far by a long shot. It was completely illiberal. Yeah. Everything about all of the amendments added up to a clamp down on any and every possible way that you could protest. Yeah. So that's what I objected to. I don't mind at all that, and I understand actually, there's something about the way um, uh, the, the Extinction Rebellion, what they call insulate Britain crowd, mm. they almost weren't protesting. They were trying to bully the public yeah. by stopping them going about their work to change behaviour. It, it almost went beyond protest. But the government couldn't resist but use that as an excuse, say that was what they were going to do, to introduce the equivalent of the coronavirus legislation as to yes. the idea that we and are listen, not afraid. And, and nobody, nobody wants to see that. But my point yeah. of view would also be, and I know you've got to run, but my point of view would be that, you know, the police and crime business is kind of broken because we've got situations where these insulate Britain people would be arrested, they'd be held for a while, they'd be released, they go straight back to where they were arrested and nothing was done about that for a long time. And yes, I know some of them eventually went to jail, but we've also got the situation where Extinction Rebellion can be found guilty of crimes of vandalism and then the judge lets them go because their cause yeah. is nice and you go well hang on a minute yeah. what's it got to do with the cause the colston four the same thing mike I, I i absolutely agree with you people know it's broken and i can understand if you're sitting at home you think it's broken you're so frustrated like about the colston four somebody comes in and says it's a hate crime mm. to have a statue and that government by the way have brought in all this hate crime legislation then they get let off i understand the frustration and then I understand that Priti Patel said, don't worry, I've got a bill here that will sort it out. I'm just saying to you, the bill does not sort it mm. out. It doesn't address. So it's a bit like when we had that coronavirus legislation, when people like you and I would say, this piece of legislation is not fit for purpose, mm. right? Look at all of the massive power they've got. And they'd say, oh, so you're the kind of person who wants people to die of COVID. Yes, then. of course. I'm saying to you that if you looked at this part of the bill, part three, it did not even tackle the things that you and I and the public are frustrated about. Yes. Now, you can opt out of this if you've got to run, but if you can't, uh, if you can, uh, tell us about the misogyny uh, bill, because this is another situation where apparently we're told we don't need new uh, rules for the police. We don't need new laws for them to uh, to act against uh, demonstrations. But what we do need is new rules and new laws uh, to act against hate crime against women. And given that we can't define what woman is, uh, I find that a bit confusing. Oh, well, they managed to get around that by saying sex <laughs> or gender, you know, so therefore you can now, if you are perceived to be a woman as a transgender woman, oh, I can't tell you. So in the midst of all this, the opposition parties think that the most important thing to do is to argue for this misogyny hate crime 
uh, amendment right. which got passed. And I argued against it. I mean, first of all, because they the whole emphasis of the debate starts with Sarah Everard, these terrible, brutal, mm. awful murders that we've seen and rapes and so on. And then basically says, we're not going to count that as misogyny hate crime. Of course, that's murder over there. But if we allow people to get away with everyday sexism, which we're now going to rebrand as misogyny, they're going to end up as the kind of people who are going to commit those murders. Then, then you're talking about a broken uh, crime and justice system. The police are then going to have to count and monitor every crime that's labeled misogynistic. And their decision about what is misogyny, by the way, is entirely based on, in the law, the perception of the victim as to whether the crime is misogynistic or not. And they have to write that down. And it doesn't even have to be the victim. So, for example, somebody shouted, Oi, love, across the road to me, and I even waved back at them. A third party could say that's misogyny, and the police would be forced to act. Mm. I mean, can you, what a waste of everybody's oh, no. time. It, it turns really women into victims, it criminalizes men. And I really objected to that part of the bill. Yeah. Thank goodness for some sense in the House of Lords. Baroness Claire Fox, great to see you. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Claire Fox, what a great woman. Thank goodness that people like her are in the House of Lords. I mean, I might not agree with every single thing that she votes in favour of, but the point is, is that she's willing to discuss it. She always makes a good argument, and that is what we do here at the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We want to hear good arguments. We want to hear good ideas, and we want to hear from you as well. What are you doing? What are you hearing? Boris Johnson could be out of a job soon. Do you care? This is Talk Radio. 
Good morning, I'm Nick Ellaby. We've heard a number of letters of no confidence in the Prime Minister have been submitted this morning as a potential Tory leadership challenge ramps up. Reportedly around 12 have been handed in by members of the so-called Red Wall Conservative MPs elected in 2019. 54 are needed to force a leadership contest. The Armed Forces Minister James Heapies told Talk Radio it's a tough time to be a Conservative MP. All of us rightly have to wrestle with wanting to work for and with a Prime Minister who has got this country through the pandemic versus the fact that our constituents are really angry right now. And I just think that this is not the time to be changing our Prime Minister. Liberal Democrat MP Alistair Carmichael told Talk Radio the reaction to the Partygate scandal in his constituency is typical of the mood around the country. I flew into Shetland on Friday morning. Between getting off the plane and getting to the car in the car park, three people who I didn't know, just, you know, random constituents, recognised me, came up to me and said things like, he's got to go, what on earth is this all about? Higher prices for furniture, clothes and groceries has pushed up the cost of living to its highest level in around 30 years. Inflation's gone from 5.1% in November to 5.4% last month. MPs have arrived at number 10 ahead of a cabinet meeting on the easing of Plan B COVID restrictions in England. Boris Johnson's expected to remove some measures from next week. Meanwhile, the Welsh government's facing a legal challenge over its mandatory COVID passes, which have been called draconian by civil liberties group Big Brother Watch. An NHS worker's told Talk Radio he's prepared to lose his job rather than be forced to have a COVID vaccine. It was announced yesterday unjabbed workers in the health service will start to be sacked as soon as next month. Matt Taylor, a specialist paramedic, told Talk Radio people should have control over what goes in and out of their body. And a list of the top 12 most wanted British criminals thought to be hiding in Spain has been published. They're accused of crimes including murder, drug trafficking and the supply of firearms and ammunition. The south's becoming brighter but cold and breezy this afternoon. Scattered showers in the north, some wintry. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. A hollowed out volcano of common sense. Listen on your smart speaker. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio with you all the way through until one o'clock. We've got Prime Minister's questions at midday, which should be pretty explosive. Uh, almost anything can happen today uh, when it comes to Boris Johnson and the Prime Minister's office and Downing Street uh, and what on earth is going to be said at PMQs. But Peter Cardwell will be here. Uh, don't forget, you can watch it all live with us. Um, Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV Plus, Roku, YouTube, and now we're on Amazon Fire as well. No excuses for not watching it because it is the only game in town here. The Independent Republican Mike Graham on the fastest growing radio station. Uh, on the planet and you can find us on talkradio.tv or go to the app store and download uh, the talk radio tv app now i'm delighted to say robert clark joins us defense policy associate at the henry jackson society robert nice to see you Morning, uh, welcome you? back into the new year i'm not going to say happy new year because it's a bit fur- far into it now but 2022 <laughs> doesn't look any um less calm does it mm. than 2021 afghanistan of course has come and gone Everybody seems to have forgotten about it, even though it seems to me that it's still in a pretty parlous state and there are thousands and thousands of people fleeing the country almost every single day. Mm. But everyone's focused currently on Ukraine. Um, We've heard from the Foreign Office that they're being put on sort of crisis alerts because there's a belief, certainly from the intelligence people in America, that Putin might be planning an invasion of Kiev. Yeah, we've got this situation now where um, basically the American uh, and other NATO countries are on the firm belief that once the um, this unusually mild winter we've had in Ukraine and, and southern Russia, once that freezes over in, in the coming days, 
Um, that's when Putin may launch his, his uh, ground invasion of, of mass armour. You know, mm. we've got thousands of tanks on the border. Right. Um, these have been heating up. There's about 120,000 troops now, uh, only a few kilometres away from the Ukrainian border. There's about 4,000, 5,000 troops in Belarus as well, uh, to the north of Ukraine. Right. That's quicker to get to Kiev. Uh, and this idea now that really Putin uh, has a limited time, really, until uh, sort of like the winter uh, will thaw out by spring, where he can use the next sort of few weeks um, to actually make a, a seizure for landing Ukraine, try and get a, at least as far to Kiev as possible mm. in order to leverage greater sanctions from from the West. We've seen this, the um, the uh, the the uh, the commitment he's put on the West in terms of reducing uh, NATO membership for countries uh, and pulling back from uh, the Baltic states and Poland. Completely unreasonable requests, mm. and there's no reason why NATO should buckle now. The worry is actually, um, I think this morning, Secretary of State uh, uh, Blinken um, uh, landed in Kiev. And the worry is that actually America may try to um, almost unilaterally, again, like we saw in Afghanistan without consulting partners, actually give some sort of, some form of concession mm. uh, or concessions to... Uh, to well, they're to urging, Russia. aren't they? They're urging a sort of diplomatic and peaceful path for the Russians to This take. is it. And it makes, we, it, ma- it makes me wonder what are the diplomatic concessions now that America may offer. I think the term was offered uh, a, uh, an off-ramp mm. um, to be given to to Putin right. uh, and I'm, I'm concerned that uh, one of the concessions that NATO uh, sorry that America may make without NATO's consultation is the reduction the significant reduction uh, of NATO troops in, in the Baltics and Poland mm. we have to remember they're only in the Baltics and the Poland because of Russia's illegal invasion and annexation yeah. of Crimea in 2014 in the first place right and everything of course that Putin does is for domestic consumption he doesn't really care what the foreign office thinks he doesn't care what no. the White House thinks everything he does is, is predicated upon him looking like the strong man of the region him doing what the people of Russia would want, which mm. is to take Ukraine back, really, mm. uh, into uh, into what was the former Soviet part of the uh, uh, of the world, and so and it's interesting to me because it's really ever since um, Angela Merkel sort of reached out to Ukraine and offered them membership of the European Union that this all started. Because my belief is that Putin was happy to let these countries become independent, but when it looked as though the EU was trying to actually co-opt them, he wasn't going to put up with that. Yeah, as soon as we saw, and you can kind of see his point. You can see his point, but as soon as we saw the Western uh, sort of leaning uh, of uh, Ukraine, uh, of obviously Poland and these ex-Soviet republics in the late 90s towards NATO and later the EU, all of a sudden Putin realised that there was a, you know, a greater uh, will, a greater desire for the, uh, the freedoms and the beliefs and the principles that we hold uh, so dear here in the West. Mm. Um, and those freedoms and those principles that we hold dear here in the West are absolute um, you know, they're, they're what endanger Putin's regime. Mm. Uh, you know, he's a strong man, he, uh, authoritarian regime, dictatorial uh, uh, regime, and uh, he sees that as a great threat to his domestic um, political survivability. Mm. So it's no wonder that he's now targeting countries that are increasingly Western-leaning. We can see this all, almost with Sweden and Finland as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got, uh, they've got membership applications pending for NATO, uh, Finland especially, and now they're almost reconsidering whether it's almost worth it um, you know, in, in light of uh, Russia's uh, mm. aggression towards Ukraine. And Britain has sent troops out. What are they doing and where are they? So Britain have got troops. The British Army have got around about uh, 50 to 100 troops at any one time uh, in, in eastern Ukraine advising and mentoring Ukrainian forces. This, right. un- this, un- this comes under the uh, Operation Orbital. I think we've trained around 22,000 soldiers in Ukraine uh, since, 2000 and, uh, since 2014 when, when the mission was mm. enacted after... The invasion of Crimea. Uh, this week, uh, Secretary of Defence uh, Ben Wallace has uh, issued, um, it's believed to be around about a thousand Enlaws, which are the next generation light anti tank weapons. So these are single man portable, shoulder fired, um, basically anti tank rockets mm. and missiles. Um, they're purely defensive in nature. They have a range only of around 800 metres. So it's close combat. So you've got to be pretty near the tank. 
Yeah, exactly. So these are no threat. <laughs> these are no threat to sort of Russian uh, uh, strategic autonomy or anything right. like that. These are purely for defensive measures. Should right. there be an invasion, mm. uh, and around a dozen or so extra uh, trainers to help train the Ukrainians in these missiles. Once they've been delivered, like I say, around a thousand have already been delivered. Once they've been delivered and trained, mm. then the British soldiers who have gone just to help with that mm. will, will come back. So these talks of, of, uh, of sort of an invasion of Kiev and a, a grabbing of the government effectively mm. by Russia would that be a sort of good old fashioned? infantry manoeuvre then i mean it would be uh it, well yes it would need armored armored infantry and an armored spearhead hence mm. the prediction of waiting for the the winter uh freezing right. of the ground for them to actually roll into into ukraine right. and the distance from the uh from the uh, donbass region to you uh, to kiev is hundreds of kilometers yeah. um however you know the ukrainian military i can't see them standing a very good chance past a few weeks of resistance with that mm. and there will be very little nato military assistance to help uh, prolong that yes. but in terms of the, the Russian uh, advance it can be very swift very brutal uh, but it won't just be an infantry and an armoured um, manoeuvre we can see uh, almost the entirety of the Russian state uh, kind of um, you know targeting Ukraine already we've got the uh, cyber operations and the misinformation and disinformation uh, targeting Ukraine the Ukrainian government websites uh, and also the, the Ukrainian navy is still in a very bad place um, from the invasion of Crimea in 2014 mm. um, so uh, again coming from the Black Sea uh, into the south of Ukraine, uh, it can be an entire. I think Ben Wallace described it as, as an Axis attack. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't just be an infantry and armored advance. It would be, like I say, the the, the cyber operations and what Russia uh, increasingly manipulates in the grey area and the grey zone, which we are uh, increasingly trying to catch up to. Right. And if there was to be some kind of military activity or military action taken by Russia, what would Britain actually do? Because clearly, what we know about the Boris Johnson government at the moment is it's slightly kind of stymied. Uh, by all the stuff that's going on and all the various investigations and all the leaks and all the parties and everything else. It's hard to imagine that they're geared up, in fact, in any way, shape or form to react to an international crisis. Well, I think the fact that we've already uh, declared that uh, that emergency footing uh, for Ukraine uh, for Ukraine suggests that the, the government's approach is now shifting uh, quite seismically in terms of its response. Uh, should their invasion be obviously the domestic scandals that Boris is undergoing at the minute uh, that's one thing that's a separate issue in mm. terms of the, the Ministry of Defence uh, and the Foreign Office no ability to coordinate um, like I say the one good thing about the uh, the wake of the uh, retreat from Kabul the withdrawal from Afghanistan is that's so fresh in the minds of the Foreign Office and that was a Foreign Office led yeah. mission um, well let's hope that the Foreign Office actually brings a few people back to work uh, if there is a problem in Russia, rather than letting them do it all from home. Yeah, well, this is a this the, this is what I mean. The, hopefully, the the lessons learned from uh, the the withdrawal from Afghanistan actually help uh, in the in a similar event mm. for an invasion of Ukraine, uh, and the need to bring back yeah. both uh, Ukrainian uh, citizens and also, the, more importantly, British citizens in in Ukraine. Uh, um, the British military won't be involved in any way. There'll be American advisors on the ground. There's several thousand. Uh, U.S. soldiers already uh, in the in the area um, that can expect to stay. But in terms of Britain's involvement and the government's response, uh, it would be part of a NATO uh, response. And to be perfectly honest, NATO have already done almost as much as they can mm. do. Uh, like I say, the, you have to remember, really, in terms of Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine matters a lot more to Russia than it does yes. to NATO. Yes, but nevertheless, um, is it more of a saber rattling exercise in the end? What's your sense? Will it will it come to anything? I mean. My, my honest uh, prediction is it, I think it's more likely than not that there will be a Russian invasion or incursion. Really? The extent of it, uh, whether they get as far as Kiev, whether they try and seize Kiev, uh, undoubtedly one of, the, um, I, one of their aims is to have some form of regime, regime change in mm. Kiev uh, to replace the Zelensky regime for a more pro-Russian uh, pro, uh, regime. Uh, undoubtedly that would benefit Putin. Um, in terms of how far they'll get uh, and how quickly uh, and the response, uh, that's undetermined. It depends when they when they go with, if at all. But mm. I think it's certainly more likely than not now. Uh, we can see this by the fact that around 35,000 
pro-Russian separatists in the region. There's about 4,000 Russian special forces in Ukraine, 120,000 on the border. They diverted uh, an entire division's worth from Siberia straight to um, to to the Ukrainian border. Mm. Um, so that alone, I think as well, what, what's really interesting, it costs, I came across this really interesting fact just before Christmas, it's, it's costing about $1.5 million a week to sustain Russian forces on the border of Ukraine. They're not doing that for nothing. Mm. Um, and so. they haven't got an awful lot of money in Russia, so that's very interesting indeed. Mm. Well, Robert, thank you. Um, it sounds serious. It sounds as though there will be some action at some point, um, and you'd like to think that the British government would be agile enough to deal with that, but who knows if they will be. Uh, Robert Clark, thank you very much indeed, Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society. We'll keep you updated, of course, with any developments as they happen uh, in that particular region in Ukraine where there are an awful lot of American troops and British advisers and also many, many Russian forces as well. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Talk Radio. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The place where being right is becoming a bit of a way of life for us, actually, and also challenging the status quo uh, is something that we seem to be doing every single day. And guess what? The status quo appears to be crumbling before our very eyes. Boris Johnson has done a great job of kiboshing himself in the old-fashioned words of uh, people that lived a long time ago. He's kind of snookered himself. He's got himself behind the eight ball. He doesn't know where to go. He's got Prime Minister's questions today. Uh, yesterday he said he didn't know it was a party because because nobody told him that it was against the rules. Last week he said that it wasn't a party because he didn't think it was a party. The week before that he said he didn't know if he was at it at all. I don't know what he's going to say today. I mean, it could be anything. I mean, he could basically say, I've decided to turn up as Spider-Man and see if I can uh, wheedle my way out of it by pretending to be a superhero. Could try it. Might be worthwhile. Tony Buxton is here with us. Uh, she's got some things to tell us. She was in Downing Street this week, not at the behest of the Prime Minister, uh, but representing an awful lot of people who have been absolutely and utterly mistreated during this entire debacle. Because that's what I'm going to call it now. It has been an utter debacle. The idea that we have been locked up for two years and everybody now is going to say, it's fine now. Everybody can come out. Don't worry, I'm sorry your business was ruined. I'm sorry your mother died. I'm sorry that uh, you weren't able to go abroad to see your family. But it's fine now. Everything's fine. Just just forget that it happened and just keep voting us in. Well, we're not going to keep doing that, I don't think, are we? 0344 499 1000. Prime Minister's questions, as I say, coming up at midday. Uh, we'll be talking about a great many other things as well. The Plan B restrictions, NHS vaccine mandates, and much, much more besides. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the Independent Republic, right here on Tool Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Tonya Buxton is here, always bringing a ray of sunshine to the studio. How are you? <laughs> Good morning. I, I'm going to... Um, is it too premature to do my freedom dance? No. It's like a whoop, 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 <laughs> we are free. I the love you happier of... than, than sad. Yes, I am, I'm feeling euphoric. Good. I feel like things are changing. Right. I think sanity is starting to prevail. Now, I told you this would happen, didn't you I? You did. You did when I, on my down days when I used to come in here and say I haven't slept all week because yeah. I'm so stressed out. I, I, you know, I've not been able to breathe because I've been so worried about yeah. the, you know, the state what's of the world yes. and what's happening. It is changing. And, but what we have to do is we have to keep our foot on that Absolutely. pedal because it's not changing enough mm. it isn't changing enough well and this they're... morning they're saying we might lift plan b restrictions but we might keep masks which makes no sense right <laughs> oh you know where they can put those masks Michael? <laughs> do you know i mean i'm you know there is no science for masks mm. 
And that's it. That's categorical. There is no science for no. masks. It, it is just a compliancy operation. And it used to be that saying something like that would put you in Twitter jail, wouldn't oh, it? Right. You couldn't it, say it because it that did. was against the rules yes. to even question that, right? Yep, and now look at it. It's and I mean Boris is doing these interviews with a silly mask on. I can understand why he's wearing a mask. Well, now he has to wear he a mask. He just wants right? to cover his face up, doesn't mm. he? He doesn't want to be. Well, he's seen. embarrassed. He's absolutely embarrassed. So and so he know, should be, by the way. So what needs to happen now? And and this is this is our mandate, isn't it, Mike? It it all needs to stop now. Mm. We need to have no more masks. No more testing because it's costing a phenomenal amount yes. of money. And that money needs to go into our health care. It needs to go into mental health. Mm -hmm. It needs to go in cancer prevention. It needs to go so the many NHS, more places. It needs a the massive NHS on the fix. ground. Absolutely. So no masks, no testing, no more vaccine mandates or vaccine passports. We need to lift all travel restrictions yeah. and we need to go back to the old normal right now. Yes. Done. Well, there's an almost ridiculous situation happening today because Baroness uh, Claire Fox was on this morning. You may not have heard it. You're probably on your way here. Um, but she was saying in the House of Lords yeah, today, they're going to debate vaccine passports, which have already been brought in and are more than likely to have actually been removed by the time they debate it. So... What are we playing some kind of let's play democracy game? But it is a let's play democracy game and we've all had enough of it now. Yeah. We've all suffered enough. You know, I know restaurants that have shut down that can't do it anymore. I, I heard from my friend yesterday. Hello, Anna. I'm going to shout her out from Travelmania, who's just told me that her company is now going to shut down. They can't continue. Yeah. A successful travel company that's been going for 30 years right. is going to shut down because of this rubbish. Yeah. And let's be honest. You know, when you're hearing um, the other side, the the, the non-opposition, the Labour MPs mm. talking, and they're saying, well, you know, I feel that masks work. How dare you? I mean, really? How dare well, you? Well, Mr Martin Reynolds, uh, who I hope we'll be hearing from Jonathan. shortly. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Reynolds, sorry. Um, I don't think he'll be doing that again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, Ms Julia Hartley Brewer, queen of talk radio, in one of her finest moments, I think. Um, uh, we'll, be, we'll be playing it out in a little while. But um, he went home with his um, backside handed to him very firmly. Oh, my goodness. She was a goddess. We'll come back to that. Yes. But the fact of the matter is, it must end now. And all the other politicians, because, uh, you know, Labour are now coming back and backpedalling like crazy. Oh, They're yeah. all as bad as each other. Right. They all And Labour, all, all they were saying was, lockdown harder, lockdown mm. now. They wanted more than planned yeah. restrictions. I personally believe, and when I've spoken to doctors and virologists, if we had just gone back to normal then... There would be no difference no. now. And look how well England is doing. England is doing better than anywhere else mm. in the world. And it we've is. had the least restrictions. Thank goodness. And Thank you have goodness. to say that that might have been in large measure due to our resistance. Because yes, a lot of people of weren't going to take it. And if it wasn't for all of us putting pressure on those yep. MPs yep. Uh, before Christmas, then New Year would have been a bust. Because yep. I know plenty of uh, restaurateurs who have said to me that Christmas was ruined for them by Chris Whitty. Who, by the way, nobody's heard from. Has anyone oh, heard from Chris Whitty? I really hope he's gone into his little box on his own and shut the door and locked mm. it and never comes out again because can these people that have been wrong and wrong and wrong and now are backpedalling and saying, oh yes, these weren't predictions or forecasts that we meant for you to take seriously. No. These are just worst case scenarios. Right. How oh, really? dare you You've ruined people's lives, yeah. You've affected people's mental health, their businesses has gone. How dare you? I know. I'm, that's the bit that makes me I mean, angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm no, the happy. only good thing about it, I suppose, is that we can say they'll never do it again because they can't possibly now. No, they They've can't. lost all credibility. No. They won't be able to push anything on anyone anymore. Um, and once they lift these Plan B restrictions, cheerio.
goodbye. And I think the whole cabinet actually should take responsibility. If Boris Johnson yeah. is removed, then I think most of the cabinet should go as well because none of them have said a word, none of them has said a peep, and none of them have had the cojones to come out and say, actually, Boris got it wrong. Well, they've all got it wrong. Yeah. Labour got it wrong, the Lib Dems got it wrong, the Conservatives got it wrong, they all got it wrong. What do we do? What do we do about this that we haven't had? We've had very few. We've had some backbenchers, uh, Conservative backbenchers. Some very good backbenchers. Very good ones. Yeah. So they should be the ones running the country yeah. and nobody else. Yeah, I, you absolutely. Know, I, I, you know, Boris is, I think he's going to end up going, but I, I, I'd rather the devil I know. Yes, I think to that. Be, to well, be too honest. Well, you see, I think that because he's lost such, such credibility, I mean, we were talking about Russia and Ukraine a minute ago. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine somebody going into the Downing Street sort of world headquarters of idiocy and saying, right, what are we going to do about this crisis on the Russian border? And Boris is busy there going, well, never mind all that. You know, what am I going to tell uh, Keir Starmer at, at midday? Yeah. Because I need to make sure that I don't look stupid. Yeah. It's you too, know, late, too late, mate. A bit late. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Let's have a listen. I think we have have Julia versus Jonathan Reynolds. Let's do it. No, I just feel throughout things like this, I know it's not your position, but people like me have followed the scientific and medical advice and voted in. I'm parliament. asking you for no, no, no. Someone saying you should do this is not the I same as them producing evidence for that. How it affects my breathing and the transmission of, of material from your mouth. Of course it's had an effect. So look, what do you mean, I, I of course it's had an effect? Numerous scientific studies have been done and none of them have shown any significant effect, if any at all. Well, I feel it's been of you benefit. Feel. Well, you look, feel. You feel. This sort of tedious anti-vax stuff, anti... Excuse me? Are, Excuse are... me, Jonathan Reynolds? How dare you? How dare you? I am so fed up and so are my listeners. I'm asking you to produce the scientific basis for you claiming that you feel a policy works when it's a massive infringement on civil liberties. And you've just basically accused me of being anti-vax. I am double vaccinated. I have always encouraged people to get the vaccination. That is an outrageous thing to say. I am so fed up of that. That, that conversation Julia, about go Julia, go Julia, <laughs> and that's what happens oh, though. Yeah, that's what happens as soon as you 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 actually talk sense and you talk science. You say something, you get this cornered rat attack, yeah. nail name right. calling. Right. Oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. Oh, you're this. Right. Well, I'm fed up of it. Yes. I am sick we of it. Are. I'm not having it anymore. And I, I'm really hoping that the people are going to rise mm. up on Saturday. We'll be outside the BBC demonstrating and protesting and making our voices heard mm. because we have had enough of this. Our lives have been compromised in the most horrific way. Yeah. We have lost lives. We have lost people that we love mm. because of these lockdown restrictions and because of the behaviour of these politicians. Which none of them believed because you could see that from all the parties they've had. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know the half of it. We I don't. think they were probably having parties every night yeah. by the looks of things oh, because I, they felt that they deserved to. Yeah, I, they absolutely did not believe that this there was a threat that they couldn't continue their lives in the way that they made us not continue yeah. our lives. And that's categorical fact. I don't care that they had the parties. It's a hypocrisy. Exactly. And the rules no, for us that I'm sick of. I'm just sorry we weren't all having parties, you know, mm. because that's what we should have been doing. Anyway, um, let's, let's talk about Downing Street. Yes. Tell us when you were there and what you did. I am so honoured, Mike, to be part, uh, to be one of the first signatories of the Together Declaration that was put together. It was, it's co-founded by Alan Miller. Mm. And it's a declaration that was against vaccine passports. And we had uh, two uh, signatures, two uh, things to hand over. It, one was against vaccine passports. One was against vaccine mandates. There was 360,000 people had signed this. And because of the work of the Together Declaration, we managed to get a situation where we could hand this over to 10 Downing Street. Mm. 
this is going to be the moment that I will remember for the rest of my life. You know, I've, I've worked in television and, and entertainment and food and travel and I've done lots of things that I've really enjoyed doing. But the thing that's made me proudest of all is being part of this declaration mm. to, to return humanity back to living. Yeah. You know, there is, there is no humanity in having a dual society. And Omegon has shown that vaccine passports and vaccine pa mandates are a waste of time and a huge waste of money. So these IDs that they want us to have in order to, to show whether you're vax or unvax are useless. They're right. just making money for the ID company. Yeah. So let's just get that out there. There are multi-millions going to be made if, if this continued. Yeah. So that's got to and stop. And it proves nothing, and by the way. it proves absolutely nothing. Somebody who's, and you know, I was with the um, 100K nurses. I was li with Lilibet. One of the nurses is yes, part of the NHS 100K. Hopefully, soon. hopefully, you will be talking to her. And these people have worked throughout the pandemic yeah. in a time right at the beginning when we really didn't know what was going on. Right. They put their lives forward and they worked really hard. Yeah. And now they're looking at being sacked. For what reason? Mm. Most of them got COVID. Practically all of them got COVID. Yeah. Practically all of them have natural immunity. And now Omicron is endemic, it's right. a cold. Why would we sack staff? We have to reinstate all the care staff. We have to get rid of these vaccine mandates and mm. vaccine passports. All these companies that are now saying they're not going to pay sick pay to people who aren't vaccinated. It's disgusting. Yeah. And we should all boycott them, actually. Yes. Well, a lot of that is going on. Yeah. And we named a few of those companies yesterday. And we'll probably name some. In fact, we might even do an entire sort of segment on it and do the whole roll call of shame of all these companies who I are really think wishing to treat people differently. Because yeah. it's absolutely outrageous. And isn't it amusingly kind of ironic that Novak Djokovic leaves Australia um, ridiculously under, under a cloud, made out to feel like some kind of criminal. And then about five people who have been vaccinated have all out of the tournament because they've got COVID. Yeah. He, but he don't is, worry, they've got a vaccine pass. Exactly. He is a hero so, in my eyes. Yeah. He's an absolute hero in my eyes. He's standing up for the freedoms. And what needs to happen now? What would be... Do you know what my dream is? My dream is that Boris Johnson actually grows a spine. Mm. He goes into Parliament today and he says, I'm going to lift all restrictions. We are going to um, move on from COVID now. We are going to have nothing else left. There's no masks, there's no mandates, there's no passports, there's no testing. Mm. We are going to get on with life pre-COVID because it's endemic now, yeah. it's a cold now, and we're going to move on. And we are going to again be world leaders. Great Britain, unfortunately it's just England at the mm. moment, but Great Britain have led the world throughout the centuries. We have been a leading country. That's why I'm proud to be British. Yes. Let him just do that now. Grow a spine and just do it. He wants to be known as Churchill, yeah. then do something Churchillian. I think he's lost that, to be honest. But, I mean, this is why he cannot stay in the job, because he can't do that. Because if he does do it, he will be accused of doing it purely and simply for popularity, purely and simply uh, to kind of make it look as if he is now the king of freedom. And, in fact, all of his enemies, and Claire Fox was right to say that he's got enemies from all sorts of different yeah. camps for all he sorts has, of yeah, different yeah. reasons, right? But they will just say, no, he's putting the health of the nation at risk just in order to save his own skin. That's what they'll say. It which is, what is why say. he can't do it. it, it, it which is it, why it, he has to go in the end. Yeah. I, I think you know? that I think if he did it though, because he's a populist anyway. Yeah. You know, if he did all these things that he's done, none of it has been done because for good reason. None of any of this has no. gone on for the past nearly two well, years. Well, we heard Doctor Steve Jones in yesterday, who said what many people have been saying and what Julie has been saying for the best part of the entire pandemic that at every point they did a lockdown, the the cases were already in decline. Yeah. 
they never did it in order to stop a peak from becoming something of a problem because the peak had already passed. Yeah. Every single time they locked yep. down, it was already past the peak. So it was just to see if they could look us up, just yeah. to see how compliant they are. Well, well it was we just to make it, I, think, I think it was just to make it look as if they were doing something. You know, but when they start asking questions, when the inquiry finally gets underway, I think they're all going to be in big trouble because there is clearly no medical uh, evidence for almost anything that they did, no, Mike, apart you, from the vaccine. Exactly, and you and I know that to just to be seen to be doing something has killed people. Yeah. It's killed people. People have died. They've died of cancer. They've died of suicide. They've died of heart attacks. They've had, died of so many illnesses because we were told to stay at home. People didn't get diagnosed. So many people... We have lost lives. Mm. And the mental health that has been inflicted on this nation, we will feel the ramifications for decades mm. to come. So just to be seen to be doing something has done so much damage. And that's when I'm well, going to be Well, you think of two years in are... the life of a teenager. Oh, yeah. You know? You, know, you and I I've know got, we've got we, teenagers. We have teenagers. Yeah. You know, two years in the life of my son who just turned 15. He was 13 yeah. um, when it started. In fact, maybe he was even 12. In fact, I think he, no, he was 13 when it started. Yeah. You know, it's unbelievable that two years in his school, in out of school, in one day, out the next, everyone wearing masks, everyone being tested, you know, having to make decisions about whether you want to be part of that or whether you don't, having to deal with all of the nonsense. I nearly said a bad word there. <laughs> you know, um, it's just been incredibly hard for so many families. And I count myself as fortunate because, you know, it's not a horrible place for him to be at home if he has to be at home, but for some people it's a really horrible place to be. It's been a horror for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, you and I've got a garden, so we mm. can go outside and we, and you know, especially during that first lockdown when the weather was nice, it was lovely. But what about people that didn't have that? And we know the cases of um, domestic abuse, child abuse, all these things happened on this watch. All these things happened while the Labour and the Conservatives were calling for lockdowns, lockdown harder, lockdown more. This abuse happened and it's on their shoulders. They are to blame for it and they must be held to account for it. This must never happen no. again. And the only way that they can prove that they won't do this again is to get rid of all restrictions, yeah. all vaccine mandates, all vaccine passports. Yeah. Anything to do with COVID has to stop right now. We have to move forward and, and can never we also, do this again. And can we also ask for anyone from SAGE who happens to be anywhere near Downing Street to be forcibly removed from Downing Street and put somewhere in a shed uh, for hibernation purposes. We'll talk to you in a couple of years. Mike, I really do want there to be an inquiry as to who elected that SAGE who chose the people in SAGE? Mm. Because that's the person I want to point my it's finger probably witty. at. It's probably the chief medical officer. And what because, gave you know And what gave him grounds to, to decide to, to get these unelected people, these these communists and these social scientists and these really not very pleasant characters mm. to decide how we live our lives, right. how they nudge us into fear, how they nudge us into They've doing They've all gone things. very quiet, haven't they? Oh, we haven't they, heard from I, any of them. I Ferguson, you don't hear from. Again. We haven't heard from Whitty since last year. I said last week he should come out and at least apologise to everybody for getting it so wrong before Christmas, should. right? He absolutely. 7,000 people were going to die. 75,000 people were going to die over the course of three months, right? Nothing like that has Nothing happened. Nothing happened like Just that. ridiculous. We'll stop for a moment. Uh, Tonya Buxton is here. Uh, we're happy today, and so we should be, but we are still vigilant. Make no mistake, just because we're smiling doesn't mean we haven't still got the stiletto. Uh, this is Talk Radio. At last, a radio station that's on your side. Arm yourself with knowledge. Listen or don't listen. Wide Angle Radio. Let's broaden our minds. Talk Radio. The home of common sense. Now on the telly. Come in.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on yet another auspicious day uh, for talk radio. We are covering the latest uh, twist and turn uh, in the Prime Minister's life in politics. Uh, Keir Starmer tried to skewer him, uh, just laughed at him really, ridiculed him for the best part uh, of PMQs, which I thought was quite an interesting uh, development, quite an interesting tactic to take. Uh, Guido Fawkes has just broken the news that Christian Wakeford, who's just defected to the Labour Party, in fact sponsored a bill mandating by-elections for MPs who defected. <laughs> uh, and it's already being uh, said by some Tories that uh, hopefully there will be a by-election to see whether he can win it. But they can't force that, can they? Yes, indeed. And some of Christian Weckford's uh, tweets as well from previous months. Um, One of the key priorities is the regeneration of our town centres and high streets, he wrote on the 7th of November 2019. They've been badly let down by a Labour council for years. The Conservatives are investing more into our towns to bring empty shops back into use and increase footfall. So it'll be really interesting. I would imagine those are being hastily deleted as time goes on. Now, the only thing that would uh, add what can only be described as even more entertainment value to what we currently are doing here at the Independent Republic is to introduce everybody to Lewis McLeod, uh, my favourite impressionist, a friend of mine from north of the border. Lewis, a very, very good afternoon and welcome. Hey, Mike, hello. Now, listen, um, you may have to start brushing up on a few things because if Boris Johnson is indeed uh, the man who may or may not be on the way out, I mean, what's he going to do? Uh, well, I, I, first of all, I'd like to say a great deal of congratulations for the confidence of my uh, for former member from Berry South. But I still will remain the member for... Berry Brothers and Rudd, uh, the greatest wine merchants in the world and, and who supplied so well over these past months, uh, where it really was quite, quite an extraordinary. We've become the Ministry of Pound, uh, DJs being smuggled in on uh, fridges and suitcases. Uh, quite, quite extraordinary. But, yes. uh, yeah, well, you know, you could say, because Keir Starman on, on, uh, on Dead Ringers, Duncan Wisby does a belting Keir Starmer. I've never quite been able to you've, get Yeah, his you've voice. always said to me that you don't well, really do him. It's got that sort of thing, you know. I'm, uh, I was really impressed by uh, the Mr. Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite sure if he's going to hit this, the dizzy heights of uh, sort of John Berko with his order. <laughs> but, you know, today, did, did somebody say, apologise? Yes. You want me to come down there? Tongue, tongue, you'll get tongue, you'll feel it right up from my boot as it comes out of your mouth. Listen, Sonny Jim. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's exciting and he's getting really, really, really tough with them, you know. And he's like getting that. stuck in. I was expecting him to start throwing people out. I thought I might see a few bouncers <laughs> coming in, you know, just tearing people in and, and dragging them out. Your name's not, you're not getting in unless your name's in the door. Well, actually, pick which one. I mean, I don't know which side's which uh, at the moment. I mean, the thing about uh, Rishi Sunak, of course, as the number one front runner, uh, is yes. that he may be somebody that you'll, uh, you'll be able to practice on. Well, he's got... I've I've thought of, you know, I've worked on his voice a little bit and there's just, I just feel he's still like, it's almost, they keep saying things like your statement sounds like it was written by a lawyer, but really, I really am that guy. (laughs) So I don't know if the the humanity of his his rhetoric will poke through well enough, but then it doesn't really, but they need somebody... Because Boris has, in the past, I think, had quite a lot of flair and all that. He's eminently mimicable. The problem Mm. is the rest are so bland and uh, there's not really much to grip on them. I mean, people have been complaining to me about Rhys Mogg's body language. I don't know whether you do him. (laughs) Do you do Rhys Mogg? Yes, well, I actually find Politician of the Year 
Yes, 1872. <laughs> uh, that kind of... I don't know. It's just that calling everybody else, you're just a lightweight. And it's... Ooh, that, that coming from that tone of voice. Yes. Listen here, Sonny Jim. No! Yes. That's I mean, I don't, know many, I don't know many people that could take a personal loan from one of his own companies of six million pounds just to help him through Christmas. <laughs> I know, but he's like a character from Succession. You know, he's he's the Bryant Cox, but without the shouting and bawling, yeah, you know? Right. Absolutely. And he doesn't go in helicopters because they're too modern, thank well, you, too, you know, to be honest. I'm too tall. Yeah. He I'd can't be get decapitated. In yes, exactly right. Thank goodness, though, that Ian Blackford always delivers. Um, uh, I mean, he's uh, been calling for the resignation of the Prime Minister for years. You know, we've had Mr. Squeaker, Operation Red Meat, this whole... Bond villain conspiracy theorem, it's Operation Dog's Dinner, and my dog, Gunga, has eaten it all and spat it all <laughs> over that. Do you remember when he was bed. outside? <laughs> outside the, the, uh, the, the French window. <laughs> to make that up. It was so good. It was brilliant. <laughs> we, were both, we were both actually listening to PMQs at the same time. That's right. I had to pull the car over. I thought I was going to crash. It was just brilliant. Um, and he's going, Gunga, shut up. Get out, get out. <laughs> I know, I take your point. And then Boris, of course, handed it to him. I think the uh, right honourable member's dog made more sense than he did. But isn't that, isn't that what really the chamber's about? It's about that sparring. It's about laughter. You know, when you used to be able to go into the public gallery, my Uncle David used to come down to London and sit joyfully witnessing this badinage between sides that was humourless. It was it was really really punchy yeah. and funny, and I think you know because I was listening to your comments. I don't know. Oh, he's just frozen. No, Lewis McLeod is frozen. I didn't get to ask him about his new job. Are you back? Uh, you just froze. Am there. I back? Am I still there? Yeah, you're back. Yeah, did that whole thing. Yeah, I think that his humour. Um, the humour, rather, between sides was really apparent today, and I think Keir Starmer really stepped up, and it was quite funny watching the two of them. But I don't know if it's premature to say that to to laugh is to suddenly consider his you know his position over. I think if they do a vote of confidence, I think he'll still win it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But well, listen. I, I th- I mean, who who can say? Listen, let's before we let you go, because we've got to rush off and get some calls on this. Um, tell us about this new starring role you've got in Hollywood, because I've been handed a piece of paper in which it describes you as uh, Scots and as the father of two from Bears Den. Um, where are you going? Ian Blackford there. Yeah. Hello, I'm Mike Graham. <laughs> and, uh, I used not- to be Mike Graham. <laughs> No, Mr. Squeaker, <laughs> I'm just lacking a waistcoat. Otherwise, I'm a made guy. Aye. There's um, no. It's, I, I was uh, employed by Matt Berry, the genius of Toast of uh, London, now Toast of Tinseltown. He asked me to play Orson Welles. Really? Uh, and uh, this show, if you've not seen it, check it out. It's on iPlayer. It's on BBC. Um, but my episode, it's the last in the series, and it's a good laugh. I play Orson Welles. That's the kind of show they resurrect. Um, Jim Morrison, they brought back Orson Welles, and I play Orson Welles from <laughs> Welles's Wine House. Are you the and Orson Welles of the Third Man? Yes. <laughs> well, <if you've, laughs> depending on your holiday results, it could be the Third Man. Depending, <laughs> if you don't drink the water, but the. But I, I had um, a great day filming with them, and it was all they based it around the you know they timed it around the COVID lapse or lax what do you call it you know the restrictions easing oh, yeah. from getting out of France, oh, yeah. and I was really lucky because I was just about to get recast, and they got us in because uh, the government you know said okay look you don't need to isolate for ten days, right. 
and I got into France for a day and managed to film it. Tremendous. Great stuff. Well, listen, Lewis, good luck. We'll look out for it. Let us know when you're down next and we'll get you in uh, for some more uh, Blackford bashing uh, if we can and look after that Doug while you're at it. Um, that was so funny, wasn't it, when you go back to that. Let's just... Uh, uh, oh, I think Boris is about to make his COVID statement. We'll come to the calls in a moment. Peter Cardwell is here. Let's go. Within hours of learning from scientists in South Africa about the emergence of a new COVID variant last November, this government acted, introducing balanced and proportionate restrictions at our borders to slow the seeding of Omicron in our country. As we learned more about this highly transmissible new variant, we implemented the Plan B measures we had prepared precisely in case our situation deteriorated encouraging people to change their behaviour to slow the spread of the virus and buying crucial time to get boosters into arms. We made the big call to refocus our National Health Service, necessarily requiring the difficult postponement of many other appointments so that we could double the speed of the booster programme. And thanks to the extraordinary efforts of our NHS and its volunteers, we delivered the fastest booster programme in Europe, reaching half our population before any other European country, with more than 36 million boosters now in arms across the UK, including more than 90%, 90% of all over 60s in England. And taking a balanced approach, we resisted calls from others to shut down our country all over again. Many nations across Europe have endured further winter lockdowns. Many have seen hospitality curfews and nightclubs closed, capacity limits at sports stadiums, the return of social distancing, and in some places, Christmas and New Year as good as cancelled. But this government took a different path. We kept England open, and we supported those businesses which faced reduced demand because of the response to Plan B measures. And while we must continue to remain cautious, the data are showing that time and again, this government got the toughest decisions right. Today's latest ONS data show clearly that infection levels are falling in England. And while there are some places where cases are likely to continue rising, including in primary schools, our scientists believe it is likely that the Omicron wave has now peaked nationally. There remain, of course, significant pressures on the NHS across our country, and especially in the northeast and northwest. But hospital admissions, which were doubling every nine days just two weeks ago, have now stabilised, with admissions in London even falling, and the numbers in intensive care not only remain low, but are actually also falling. So, this morning, the Cabinet concluded that because of the extraordinary booster campaign, together with the way the public have responded to the Plan B measures, we can return to Plan A in England and allow Plan B regulations to expire. As a result, from the start of Thursday next week, mandatory certification will end. Organisations can, of course, choose to use the NHS COVID pass voluntarily, but we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. From now on, the government is no longer asking people to work from home. And people should now speak to their employers about arrangements for returning to the office. And having looked at the data carefully, the Cabinet concluded that once regulations lapse, the government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. Mr Speaker. (laughs) (laughs) Mr Speaker. 
Mr. Speaker, from, from, tomorrow, from tomorrow we will no longer require face masks in classrooms and the Department, and the Department for Education will shortly remove national guidance uh, on their use in communal areas. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet, but we will trust the judgment of the British people and no longer criminalise anyone who chooses not to wear one. The Government will also ease restrictions further on visits to care homes, and my right honourable friend the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care will set out plans in the coming days. Mr Speaker, as we return to Plan A, the House will know that some measures still remain, including those on self-isolation. In particular, it is still a legal requirement for those who have tested positive for COVID to self-isolate. On Monday, we reduced the isolation period to five full days with two negative tests, and there will soon come a time when we can remove the legal requirement to self-isolate altogether, just as we don't place legal obligations on people to isolate if they have flu. As COVID becomes endemic, we will need to replace legal requirements with advice and guidance, urging people with the virus to be careful and considerate of others. The self-isolation regulations expire on the 24th of March, at which point I very much expect not to renew them. Indeed, were the data to allow, I would like to seek a vote in this House to bring that date forwards. In advance of that, we will set out our long-term strategy for living with COVID-19, explaining how we hope and intend to protect our liberty and avoid restrictions in future by relying instead on medical advances, especially the vaccines which have already saved so many lives. But to make that possible, we must all remain cautious during these last weeks of winter. When there are still over 16,000 people in hospital in England alone, the pandemic is not over. And Mr Speaker, make no mistake, uh, Omicron is not a mild disease for everyone, especially if you're not vaccinated. Uh, Just look at the numbers in intensive care in other countries where vaccination rates are far lower. Indeed, from our NHS data, we know that around 90% of people in intensive care are not boosted. So I urge members across the House to do everything possible to encourage any remaining constituents who have not done so to get boosted now. And for the next few weeks, I encourage everyone across the country to continue with the behaviours that we know help to keep everybody safe. Washing hands, letting fresh air in, getting tested, self-isolating if positive, and, as I say, thinking about wearing a face covering in crowded and enclosed settings. Mr Speaker, Omicron tested us just as Alpha and Delta did before. But let's remember some of what we've achieved. We were the first nation in the world to administer a vaccine. We were the fastest in Europe to roll it out, because outside the European Medicines Agency, this government made the big call to pursue our own British procurement strategy, rather than opting back into the EU scheme, as some people urged. We created a world-beating testing programme, the largest in Europe, Mr Speaker, and procured the most antivirals of any country in Europe too because this government made the big call to invest early in lateral flow tests and in cutting-edge drugs to protect the most vulnerable. We have delivered the fastest booster campaign in Europe, 
and we are the first to emerge from the Omicron wave because the government made the big call to focus on our NHS and to, to refocus our activity and lead that campaign to get boosted now. And that's why we've retained the most open economy and society anywhere across the European continent and the fastest growing economy in the G7. Because we made that tough decision to open up last summer when others said that we shouldn't. And to keep things open over the winter when others wanted them shut, Mr Speaker. This week, the World Health Organisation said that while the global situation remains challenging, the United Kingdom can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, Mr Speaker, this is no accident of history. Confronted by the nation's biggest challenge since the Second World War and the worst pandemic since 1918, any government would get some things wrong, but this government got the big things right, Mr Speaker, and I commend this statement to the House. Boris Johnson, Prime Minister, the highlight of that, probably the mask wearing uh, done away with altogether. There was some suggestion it might become guidance. It's now nothing, basically, right? Yeah, absolutely. Legal mask requirement ditched in classrooms tomorrow and nationally. Vaccine passports gone. Work from home has ended. We're really getting out of COVID now. This is a dramatic statement, very, very significant and major changes for everybody in the country. Amazing what happens when you get caught having a party, isn't it? I mean, Mm. he's literally dropped everything. Um, Just before before uh, we go to a break, though, let's have a listen to David Davis because you spotted that uh, something we didn't see earlier on when it happened. Uh, David Davis made uh, his own version of an attack. David Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Like many on these benches, I spent weeks and months defending the Prime Minister uh, against often angry constituents. I reminded them of his success in delivering Brexit and on the vaccine and many other things. But I expect my leaders to shoulder the responsibility for the actions they take. Yesterday, he did the opposite of that. So I'll remind him of a quotation altogether too familiar to him of Leo Amory to Neville Chamberlain. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. Yeah, that is uh, that is a major figure in the Conservative Party. Former Brexit secretary, former senior cabinet minister, former leadership contender David Davis calling for Boris Johnson to go. That is the most significant event I think uh, in terms yeah. of the leadership today. And I'm told by some people on social media that sounded a bit like a farewell speech. So Keir Starmer is answering him, but we haven't got time to listen to any more of his uh, nonsense, so we're going. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.